have uh, a strong commitment to the next generation around here. Uh, for our student ministries, our kids' ministries, and uh, we're believing that uh, they're not just the church of the future. Actually, these guys are the church of today because we have high schoolers in production booth right now, running sound, uh, here setting up, serving in kids' ministry. And uh, we're investing so heavily into the next generation because the truth is we're not a separated generation, are we? We're, we're all one generation together now, 2018, serving God together. Uh, but, uh, but we also know that teenagers and children uh, need to be given the gospel in a way that helps them apply it and understand it. So the last couple of months, several months actually, uh, we've been investing into some coaching into our student ministry. And uh, we've developed a new friend of the house out of this. Uh, Pastor John Morgan is a guy that I have met through the years, just kind of crossing paths. And we were looking for a way just to, just to kind of strengthen our student ministry. And we worked out a situation, and John has poured in to our students, our leaders, and, uh, and helped them go to a brand new place. Yesterday, they spent 10 hours planning 2019. Come on, that's, uh, that's better than we're doing for the adults. Uh, I'm impressed. And uh, uh, John has actually uh, poured into our staff with some staff development sessions. And uh, we just wanted you guys to have an opportunity to hear from him. And his ministry is literally world class. He's around the world speaking, ministering, leading, coaching, just doing great things. And uh, he's going to actually continue on in our series, Love Like You've Never Been Heard. So I want you to stand to your feet right now. Let's welcome Pastor John Morgan to the house. Good morning, Rock Church. You guys doing good? You can be seated. So good all this morning. And as Pastor Cope was just saying, we had... Uh, an incredible day yesterday with your uh, youth leadership team and young people planning out 2019, and they were amazing. Some of them in the front row here just did a brilliant job and uh, very, very impressed with uh, the quality that you have here. And you've got a great church. How many people love your church? You guys have got a great church. Let's get in the Word this morning. I'd love you if you go with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, Matthew 18. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I always encourage people to uh, make sure that they get themselves a Bible, either download Uversion Bible app on your smartphone, and it's free. How cool is that? And if you don't have a smartphone, then I encourage you to stay at a Holiday Inn and Jack of Gideon's. That's another way to get a good free Bible, but either way. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 starts off and says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, Jesus is telling a parable, and so everything in the parable is specifically designed for effect. Nothing is accidental. And so he busts out 
this number 10,000, and it's not an arbitrary number. Back in the day, uh, this was a mind-blowing number. He's using this as a number that when they're hearing it, they're like, that's huge. And I, I'm not sure if your family has a number that you use when you to try to eclipse everyone else's number in the family. My family uses the number a kajillion as the mind-blowing number. So this is old school thinking for the number kajillion. And then he uses the word talent, which was the largest weight that they would use uh, if they were measuring out gold, silver, or bronze. He goes on, he says, but he was not able to pay, and his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. Now, it was customary if you owed money and you couldn't pay it back, that they would take your life. Jesus said, this guy is so far in debt that it's him, his wife, his kids, everything. Now, a talent was equivalent to about 20 years salary for the average worker. This guy is 200,000 years of wages in debt. I made somebody feel a lot better about their credit card bill right now. <laughs> the servant therefore fell down saying, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now here's the contrast. The denarii was equivalent to about a day's salary for the average worker. So this guy has somebody who owes him one third of a year of salary. Let's call that $15,000. So it's not like chump change. It's not small. But in contrast to 200,000 years of debt, this is quite a microscopic debt. He laid hands on him, took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. And so his servant fell down and his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And he would not. But went through him into prison till he should pay the debt. There are two players in this parable. There's the king and there's the servant. There's a king who's owed an overwhelming amount of money, but has the resources and the mentality to be able to cut the check and pay the bill. Let's call him the cajillionaire. And then you've got the other guy that's so in debt, has no resources or the mentality, when given the opportunity to be able to show forgiveness or to be able to show mercy to a fellow servant, refuses to do so. Let's call him the miser. So you have two men in the parable. If you could take cajillionaire and miser, if you could take king and servant out and place your name in there, in this parable, which one would you want to be? I don't know about you, but I want to be the cajillionaire guy. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. I want to talk about how to develop the cajillionaire mindset. But before we do that, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to get into areas of our life where nothing else could get in and penetrate, bring supernatural change from the inside out. God, we thank you that your word never returns void, that you have an agenda, 
And I believe that you have an agenda for the men and women that showed up at this service. You're also a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And so, God, I pray that these men and women would leave better when they go out today than when they came in. And more than anything, God, I pray, oh, Jesus, please help me not to be boring. And God, I pray for these people here today that you'd help them not to be boring either because that's always really horrible in Jesus' name. And everyone said... <laughs> How many of you, by, by, by a show of hands, have ever been asked a question by somebody in your family or somebody, you're terrified to answer because you felt like the question was loaded? Anybody ever been asked? Yeah, my, 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 my 19-year-old daughter, Brooke, uh, will do that to me all the time. Every now and then, she'll text me, hey, Dad, can you do me a favor? And then that's it. And I'm terrified to answer because I'm not really sure what I'm signing up for here, you know? Uh, I, I think she gets it from my wife. Uh, my wife is the queen of the loaded question. Be late at night, we'll just crawl into bed, get nice and comfortable, say, hey, Alexa, turn the light off, because we don't have to turn the lights off anymore, it's 2018. Somehow that lady, Alexa, will run into the room, switch the lights off so graciously for us, which I appreciate. And, and, and she'll look into my eyes and I'll look back into her eyes and she'll say with her soft and very, very beautiful voice, hey babe, were you thinking about going upstairs and getting yourself a drink? <laughs> and I'll be like, uh, no, actually I wasn't, uh, why? And then she'll be like, well, I just thought if you're up there, while you're up there, you could get me a drink as well. <laughs> the loaded question. In Matthew chapter 18, there are two questions and both loaded. First one kicks off the chapter. The disciples come up to Jesus and they ask Jesus this question. Jesus, in your kingdom, who's going to be the greatest? Or who's going to have the authority? In your kingdom, who has, who has the power? Who has the authority? Who's the boss? And they ask this question because their concept of kingdom is different than ours because we're looking from two different vantage points. At this point, no cross. At this point, no resurrection, no ascension, no baptism of the Holy Spirit, no birthing of the church. So in their mind, Messiah is gonna come and he's gonna create a political revolution. They're gonna overthrow the local government. Messiah is gonna rule and reign. He's gonna take control. And so what they're asking Jesus, when it all goes down and you take over, you're obviously gonna need some wingmen. Who's going to be on your right? Who's going to be on your left? Who's going to be your role buddies? Who's going to serve in the job of like vice messiah or, you know, deputy of salvation or something like that? Who's going to, who's going to get that role? How do we get that? How do we get that authority? Jesus grabs a little child and brings the child into the middle of everybody and sits the child down. Now, the child is not brought in for the cute effect. The child is brought in because in that day, child has no value. Child's not counted in the numbers. They see children differently than we see children today. Jesus sits the child in the middle of the disciples and then starts to drop bombs in the context of how do we get spiritual authority. This is not a dialogue on how do we look after children. Now, you could take those principles, I guess. I've heard them preach about looking after children. But the context of the question is not how do we look after children. 
The context of the question is, how do you and I get spiritual authority? How do we become powerful in the kingdom of God? And he uses the child as the illustration, not as the subject material. And so right there from verse 3, Jesus just starts dropping bombs on how do we gain spiritual authority. He says, if, if you repent and become like a little child, you'll have spiritual authority. If you humble yourself like the little child, then you're going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. He says, if you treat others well, then you're going to have authority because as you treat them, that's how you treat me. He says, if you take advantage in verse 6 of people, then you're in deep yogurt. Verse 7 and 9, he says, beware of offenses and try not to offend other people. In other words, children, I'd love you all to play really, really nice. In verse 10 to 11, he says, don't treat each other arrogantly. In verse 12 to 14, he says that lost people matter to God and lost people should matter to you. Then in verse 15, he says, but if your brother does sin against you, if you do get offended, if somebody does hurt you, then you have spiritual authority when you take the responsibility to work that out. He says, if somebody offends you and hurts you, then you have a responsibility to go and talk to that person individually and talk to them about the offense. If that doesn't work, he says, then try to get somebody else involved. If that doesn't work, then try to get church leadership involved. If that doesn't work, have another shot. The Bible says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. It doesn't say you'll be at peace with everybody, but it just says as far as it depends on you. In other words, you exercise your spiritual authority that when you're offended, rather than lock down the offense, rather than be hurt, rather than be offended, because it's impossible not to get hurt. It's impossible not to get offended, but being offended and being hurt is a choice. I can get hurt, but being hurt is my choice. So he says, I want you to exercise spiritual authority by trying to work it out, work out what happened, try to get over it and try to get healing in the matter. Rather than talking about them, go and talk to them. Now, this is incredibly important for us today because I'm not sure if we've ever lived in a more easily offendable, easily hurt generation. I made that comment in Canada a couple of weeks ago. And one of the young guys in the church came up to the pastor at the end of the service and said, Pastor, I was really offended when that guy this morning said that we're the most easily offendable generation. And I thought, son, you are now a sermon illustration. <laughs> but we are. You know how terrifying it is to be a preacher today? It's terrifying. I may have offended you already. And I haven't even tried. It's terrifying. I, I live in Chicago, and we're based at City Church in Chicago, and every time I preach there, if I say anything that might be microscopically politically incorrect, they edit it off the podcast. They take it out. If I do an accent, any sort of foreign accent, out, because we don't want to offend anybody if I do a foreign accent. Now, if you haven't noticed already, I have a foreign accent. I'm an Australian, I live in America. There wouldn't be a week that goes by that someone doesn't come up and go, G'day mate, how you going? Try to chuck another shrimp on the barbie, you know, and I like, try to do an, like an Australian accent. 
And not once has my response been, are you trying to sound like me? Not. No, my response usually is, because <laughs> that's the accurate response. It's called humor. It's funny. Sometimes we're not even offended by what people say. Sometimes we're offended by our filter because we think we hear what they're saying and our filter messes it around. I had a girl angry at me once because in my preaching I said, Peter denied Jesus like a little girl. I never actually said that. I said, Peter denied Jesus to a little girl. That's what I actually said. She heard something completely different because of a filter. I was preaching in Minneapolis on Super Bowl Sunday and uh, I was talking about how I love games of mindless violence. I just love it, I'm just, I'm wired. I love football, it's awesome. I don't really love baseball, I'm not a baseball lover. Didn't grow up on baseball, grew up on cricket. I hate cricket, cricket's like baseball and Prozac, it's really slow. And, um, <laughs> and, and so I was talking about, you know, I watched nine innings of, of uh, baseball and they scored one run, one. And as an Australian, it just seemed like it's hard to get a run because the guy's in the outfield there with a huge glove. And you stand there waiting, oh, ball, poof, and catches it. I'm like, how easy is that? It's got to be easy. So, so I made this comment like, like, I think they could spice baseball up a little bit by making it harder for that guy. And wouldn't it be cool, not all the time, just every now and then, if the coach had a button that he could just hit? Not every, not every hit. Three or four times a game, you can just hit a button. Ball's going to the outfield, now, boom, hits the button, releases pit bulls. <laughs> Imagine like pit bulls flying out, chasing down the fielder. He's trying to catch the ball and fend it off the pit bulls. And then I said, maybe you could set the pit bulls on fire and it's like flaming pit bulls. Nothing scarier than a flaming pit bull. Well, I had this lady furious, wrote me like a six page email going to report me to Peter for cruelty to animals. <laughs> angry that I hurt these beautiful little pit bulls. We took, we took, uh, we went to her Facebook page and she was a dog lover. She had a photo of her with a chihuahua, a photo of her with a sausage dog, every dog imaginable. She was holding in this, she's a dog lover. She's offended because she thought I hurt pit bulls and so I had to write back to her and say, ma'am, I, I apologize for, you know, um, uh, giving the idea that pit bulls were injured, um, but I want to let you know that before I told my joke uh, that I had dressed all the pit bulls up in fireproof suits. <laughs> and that no pit bulls were actually injured in my joke. <laughs> it's all good. Don't report me. Just love on me. And so it's today as people get, you get offended by your filter, we get hurt by all these little things, we become super sensitive. And so handling disappointment, handling hurt, handling, handling, you know, offense is, is important if we're going to love like we've never been hurt. It's got to be a decision. When you can get to that place, you get authority. Look what it says here in verse 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I say to you that if two of you agree, getting into agreement on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done 
by my Father. You, if you can live in agreement, if you can live in unity, in unity God commands a blessing. If you can overcome the, the, the division that comes by offense, it will move you into spiritual authority. So Jesus is saying, you're just going to learn to have a lifestyle of forgiving people, letting offenses go, not, not, not having such a thin skin, being able to live free, forgive those who hurt you, forgive those who offend you, forgive those who disappoint you, rather than leave the church because you're hurt, work it out and stop blaming God. And why I say stop blaming God is because we never say I'm leaving the church because I'm hurt. We leave the church because God told us to. That's Christian speak for I'm hurt and I refuse to be obedient to Matthew chapter 18. But anyway, that's another thing. It's a totally different message right there. So that leads us to the second question with the agenda. What's the subject? How do you become great in the kingdom? What's Jesus saying? You learn how to forgive. So Peter rolls out with this. Well, then Jesus, uh, how many times should we forgive? I'm going to throw out an answer to my own question because that's what we do. I'm suggesting seven times. Now, now, in that day, the rabbis taught that generous forgiveness was three times. So this number seven has been conjured up in Peter's head as super grace. Like, this is huge. I've doubled what the rabbis taught and added tax. I'm going to show you I got some spiritual authority. And, 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 and I think this is sort of how Peter may have anticipated this conversation would go down. Peter's like, hey, guys, uh, Jesus is talking about forgiveness here and uh, spiritual authority. Gentlemen, look and learn. Look and learn. Just watch the master. Uh, Jesus, you're talking about spiritual authority, you're talking about the act of forgiveness, and so uh, I want to roll out a number, just throw it out at you, see how you feel about it. We're rolling out with spiritual authority. I'm saying if I was going to forgive somebody, I'd forgive them at least seven times. <laughs> and he was anticipating that Jesus would say, Yea, verily and therefore, Peter, and yea, again I say, yea, even I, the Lord, would say unto thou, that blowest to my mind. I can't even conceive a number so great as seven times. I was thinking maybe four, chucking out five, but you just busted up with seven, just like that. My mind is like mind-blowing emoji all over the, you know, it's like, that's what he thought Jesus would say. And then Jesus is like, uh, why don't, why don't you give it a shot at um, 70 times 7? Why, why, don't, why don't we try living with an unlimited, with a never-ending supply? If you're going to love like you've never been hurt, you've got to keep forgiving like you've never been hurt. You've got to live with an unending supply. Now, now, Jesus would never ask us to do something that he wouldn't do himself. When he went to the cross, they threw everything at him. They beat him with their fists. They ripped handfuls of hair out of his face from his beard. They, they, they put a crown of thorns into his skull. Uh, they whipped him within an inch of his life. They hung him on a cross. They stripped him naked. They spat on him. 
They hung a false accusation over his head. They let people walk past and just mock him as he hung on the cross. And after they threw everything at him, unrighteously, Jesus looked down at them and made this statement. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And on the cross, I believe that Jesus exercised the four different levels, if you like, of the kajillionaire mindset. If you're gonna live in unlimited forgiveness, you gotta make a decision to do some things. If you're gonna have a kajillionaire mindset, first thing you gotta do is you gotta actually learn to receive the promise yourself. Jesus did not go to the cross for his sin. He went to the cross for our sin. That if you've given your heart to Christ, You've been forgiven all your sin of your past, your present, and your future. There's nothing God is holding against you. He has wiped the debt clean. When the parable says he wiped out the 10,000 talents, he wiped out every debt. He wiped out 200,000 years of debt. He didn't leave a year or two in there for the servant to pay. The servant worked out of that situation debt-free. And if you're going to learn how to forgive others, you've got to learn how to forgive yourself. You've got to get to that place where you're not holding on to anger and shame and embarrassment for things that you did years ago. You need to understand that if the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you from all your sin and you've got to walk in forgiveness and you've got to get to that point where you forgive you, where you walk around with your head up, your shoulders back, Knowing you're a child of God, if you haven't had an opportunity to do that yet, if you're in church for the first time, pastor will come a little bit later and he'll give you an opportunity to pray a prayer and go to God and say, God, forgive me. And at that point, God cuts the check and wipes out all your debt. You've got to learn how to receive the promise. If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you've got to begin to love yourself. The second thing, second thing that you've got to do is you've got to learn how to reciprocate the privilege. You've got to learn how to simply, the, the essence of the parable is that you anticipate the guy that had 200,000 years of debt wiped out would forgive the little bit of debt that he had. And it seems shocking that he wouldn't do that. That's the point. God says, I've forgiven you for so much and I continue to forgive you for so much. Then I anticipate that you will forgive others. It's what gives us spiritual authority. The Bible says that the borrower is servant to the lender. In other words, whoever pays wins. So when God cuts the check for our sin, when he paid the debt for our sin, that put him in authority. And he's saying, look, if you want authority over the hurt, if you want authority over the disappointment, from little to huge, you gotta learn to cut the check and to forgive others. You gotta get into that position where you step back and take, it's not denying it happened, it's not pretending it didn't happen, it's not avoiding it, it's confronting it head on and saying this was set to destroy me, but I'm not gonna let it destroy me, I'm not gonna let it break me down, I'm gonna cut the check. And the good news is that you've got resources in heaven to pay any debt that you feel like they owe you. If you said, you know, well, you know, I had joy until you did that to me but you took my joy, you robbed me of my joy, then you can look at your heavenly father and say, you know what, I can draw joy from the resources of heaven. I can have joy unspeakable and I can have full of glory. I can draw up joy. I've got joy of the Holy Spirit. I've got joy from, I can draw up joy from the kingdom of God. 
If they, if they took your purity, then I, I, I don't get my purity from them. I get my purity from heaven. I've got the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I stand before God pure and holy. If they took your peace, then they don't need to give you your peace back. God can give you the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that will keep your heart and mind in the knowledge of Him, that there's a peace of God that if you just keep your mind fixed on Him, He'll bring you perfect peace. I would suggest to you that whatever they took from you, you can draw that resource from heaven. You don't need them to give it. And, and the reality is, if they took your peace, they probably can't give it back. If they took your joy, they're like the servant. They can't give it back. If, if they took your purity, they can't give you your purity back. You can't get that from them. You can only get it from heaven. But the good news is you don't need them to give it to you. They're like the servant who can't pay the bill. I don't need you to pay it because I've got the resources. I don't need you to pay it because I've got the authority. I don't need you to pay it because my God shall supply all my need according to His riches. I, I'm not looking at your riches, I'm looking at His riches. I'm not trying to draw it from your emotional bank account. I'm trying to draw it from the bank account of heaven. I've got a God that shall supply everything I need and I can download it all from heaven in anything I need in my life. I can be healed from heaven. I don't need to be healed from you. That's what authority says. Then the third thing that we need to do is we need to learn how to reconfigure the judgment. This is often difficult for those, especially those who've been like really hurt by somebody, life-altering hurt, is what do we do now that I've forgiven? Now in the parable, Jesus forgives him everything and then the guy goes out and like, it's almost like a repeat offender. And the king ends up jailing him, not because of what he did to the king, but because of what he did to somebody else. So he doesn't jail him out of vitriol or anger or vengeance. He jails him because he's a repeat offender. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he wasn't just saying, I forgive. He says, Father, I want you to forgive. The Bible says, when you forgive, leave the vengeance to God. So Jesus looked at the situation, says, I forgive them, but dad, we can stop here with a vengeance. I don't need you to do anything more. I don't need you to judge them. Father, forgive, wipe it out as well. Don't, don't smite them with boils. Don't, 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 don't do something nasty. We're, we're done here. This is all that it needs because he reconfigured the judgment. Sometimes those that hurt us, that's how you're gonna look at it. You're gonna like, oh, let's just move on. And it wasn't really that bad. We can just move on. I forgive and I can move on. I can forgive and I can still be nice to you. I can still be friendly to you. And I know you didn't really mean that. We, we can still, we can hang out together. Sometimes that's the judgment. Other times it's like, I forgive you, I don't trust you. Trust and forgiveness is two different gigs. You get given forgiveness, but you have to earn trust. So it'd be, I, I, I forgive you 200,000 years of cash, but I'm not lending you another dollar. Because you don't show me that you've got the habit to ever be able to pay it back. So I'm not gonna open myself up for that same hurt by trusting you enough to let you do it again. So while I'm not hung up on it, I'm not hurt, I'm not wounded, I'm not bitter, I'm not angry, I'm not resentful, I don't trust you. I've reconfigured the judgment and say I forgive, but I'm moving on, I don't trust you. Other times when hurt is huge, like if you've been sexually abused when you were little, 
Reconfiguring the judgment may not be smart to just go, I'm gonna move on and never talk about it again. It may actually be something that you need to step out of the darkness on and talk to somebody in authority. Not out of vengeance, like I'm gonna make you pay, but maybe out of wisdom to say, you could do that to somebody else and not on my watch. I'm not gonna allow you to do that. Now, now that decision could open up a cluster fudge of hurt for anybody. So you need wisdom on that. If that's you and that's your story, then you need to get with a leader or a counselor or a pastor and say, this is what happened to me. What should my next step be as you reconfigure the judgment? But when you reconfigure the judgment, it's out of righteousness. It's not out of, not out of vengeance. You see how that works? Because you don't need to be, because you're like, I'm, I'm a, does that make sense? That you have authority. Here's, here's the, the, the last sort of simply this. You need to learn how to repurpose the pain. Jesus made this comment, I think it's interesting. He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. But the reality is, they knew exactly what they were doing. They were professional executioners. This wasn't their first crucifixion. It wasn't like they crucified him by accident. Every bit of pain that they inflicted on Jesus, they did with the purpose to inflict as much pain as humanly possible. They, they, they knew exactly what they were doing when they were doing it. Nothing was an accident. What was Jesus saying? He says, Father, forgive them. They think they're in control. They think they're destroying me. The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him was able to endure the pain. It doesn't say for the joy of the pain. It was for the joy of where he was heading. He was able to endure pain. So Jesus never said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what this, they're doing and this doesn't even hurt. No, he was experiencing pain. It hurt. So it's never getting to the point where it says, oh, that didn't hurt, or that was easy, or even to the point where it was like, I enjoy that. I like to be crucified more often. That's not the point. It's painful. It hurt. I needed to forgive. But, 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 but often something bigger comes out of our pain when we get the authority over our pain. In the Old Testament, there was a young man by the name of Joseph who had brothers who were jealous of his favor with his dad and his big dreams. And one day when he was going out to meet his brothers on a lunch errand, his brothers conspired amongst themselves to kill him. And then they said, let us kill him, that would be bad, we'd be guilty, let's throw him in the pit and let him die. Then he dies and we don't even lay a hand on him. And then some Midianite traders came through and they said, let's sell him into slavery. We'll make money and he'll die. That's a win-win for us. And that's what they did. Decades pass and they're in famine, dying of starvation. They find their way down to the only man in the, the, the nations that has food is Pharaoh. When they get to Pharaoh's court, they don't get a meeting with Pharaoh, they get it with his number two guy. They stand in front of the number two guy and they're telling their plight, we're dying of starvation. We hear you have food, we need help. But halfway through the conversation, they realize that this is Joseph, the brother they tried to kill. 
they sold into slavery. They immediately think he's gonna kill them. Fear enters their life. With tears running down his face, Joseph makes this comment. He says, you meant it for evil. What you did was wrong, was jacked up. You meant it, you were, it was horrible. You were my brothers, you should have protected me, but you meant it for evil. He says, but God, but God had a bigger plan. If I wasn't here today, you'd all die in famine. You'd all be dead. What he could have done, and he didn't know this. We know this now because we sit on the other side of all of this. He could have called Judah out and said, Judah, get out here. You're my older brother. You should have looked after me, but you didn't protect me. But Judah, all this thing went down to keep you alive. You're the most important person in this whole story because Judah in your loins is the Messiah. Judah, if you die of starvation, there is no Jesus. And no one at the Rock Church in Asheville gets saved ever because there is no Jesus for salvation. And so, so Judah, even though I don't like what I've walked through, I'm here today to keep you alive. And you're alive so we can bring salvation to thousands, to millions of people, thousands of years from now. If Joseph hadn't walked through what he'd walked through, we'd have no Savior. And that's what God does with our pain. He weaves it so we can take our story out to people that need a Savior. There are people at your workplace. There are people in your family. There are people in your neighborhood. There are people in your life. They need to hear what you went through and how you got onto the other side of it, how you got the victory because they're walking through the exact same thing. We are called to bring Jesus to broken people. And when we do that, we can do it because we've been healed from our brokenness. We've, we love like we've never been hurt. We forgive like we've never been hurt. We, we let it go like nothing's ever happened. And we get on the other side of it and go, yeah, I, I, I'm on the other side of it, but it happened. And even though I don't like it, and even though I never want to go through it again, I know I can now use my story of pain and how I got the victory on it to bring you who've got pain onto the victory side of your pain. And Jesus says, that's how you get kingdom authority. If you love God, why don't you give him a round of applause? Let's pray this morning as pastor comes. Father, I just thank you for your word today and overshadow us. For some, God, this is gonna be an easy message to grasp and they're gonna walk out better. For others, Lord God, we don't know this story. We don't know how much pain they're even walking through right now, but you do. And I pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit, through this message, through the ministry of leaders that are here, through your word, through, through your grace, that they would get healed. They'd get on the other side of their pain. And Lord God, that then they would use their story to help those that are hurting as well. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this morning. Beautiful. You know, as we've been in this series, uh, I have had this recurring uh, thought and prayer. Uh, Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. He said, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out and uh, the reed was symbolic of, of like a, a reed that was played as a flute and very fragile but could be broken and the music no longer coming out uh, and I realized that all of us are walking through stuff it's just part of human condition 
but uh, my prayer for this whole series has been that the Holy Spirit would go beyond messages and beyond books and really touch us and help us uh, enter into a place of whole and healed and well and moving forward. So uh, I want to pray with you today. I want you to bow your heads, please, and would you close your eyes and let's just take a moment. Maybe you're here today and you've never actually just surrendered your life to Jesus. I want to pray with you today. Let's start that journey because the truth is, as John was telling us so well, sometimes there's only the resource of heaven that can really heal your heart, and Jesus can do that for you. Maybe you're here today, and there was a point that you could look back to and say, there was a time where I was more committed, more in love, more in pursuit of Jesus, but I know I'm not where I want to be today, where I used to be, where I could be, where I know I should be. I want to pray with you. Or maybe you just feel uh, not confident about where you really stand with God. And I just want to take this moment. Nobody's looking around. We're just in a bit of a prayer moment here. But if you say, Pastor Kirk, would you pray with me? And more important than me praying with you is for you to even signal to God, I want to surrender to the love of Jesus, or I want to come back to my relationship with God. I want to come home, or I just want to know for sure. If that is you, and you say, that is me, would you pray with me today? Nobody's looking around. Would you lift your hand real high and say, yes, I want to surrender to Jesus. Yes, I know I need to come back to him. Yes, I want to make sure I'm right with God all over the room. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else that just would say yes to that? Amen. Thank you. I want to pray a prayer together. This is for everyone that lifted their hand, everyone that maybe should have lifted their hand, just all of us in the room. Let's pray this together. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I come to you. I surrender to your love, to your lordship. I need you. I want you in my world as my Lord. I know I've sinned. I come to the cross where you paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start. It's a new beginning as I surrender to Jesus. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord.